You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Lord, thank you for this day, for your mercies and your grace um, given to us each day, um, for the gifts, the many gifts which you give. Lord, you are a giver um, for the gift of of, uh, of one another, um, specifically marriage and family and, and even work, as you outline that in your in your word um, to Ephesian, to the Ephesians and to us. Um, humble us now, Lord, and uh, let us uh, have open eyes and open ears to see and hear what you've given us to, to know. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning. It's good to see everybody. Um, hand out to run. Hey, hey, Frank. Um, there's papers around. Um, if you didn't get one, of uh, I've got some right here. Um, the text, somewhat, you know, Ephesians 5, and some people's ear will immediately go, oh good, and other people, oh no, um, uh, an abused passage, certainly, throughout the history of, of the church, that's a huge statement, I know, um, this is the wives and husbands passage in Paul, uh, which is why um, I say it's been abused, used incorrectly for a long time, and it's controversial, and for others, it's balm, it's it's the word of the gospel, it's... it's um, uh, it's the word that does the work which is being spoken of giving uh, the gifts and the promises of God. Um, I hope, you know, I'll get out of the way and just let the Lord do His work um, uh, and, uh, and order us. Um, that's, that's the prayer. Um, this is a four-week series. Um, two, we're in the second of, of four weeks. Last week we looked at Genesis 1 and 2. This week we'll look at Ephesians 5. Um, next week we'll look at kind of a mashup. Uh, of some different verses, um, uh, certainly from, from Corinthians. Um, your life is not your own. You are bought with a price. Do you not know? Um, maybe some Song of Solomon, other, other, other pieces around. And we'll go back to a, a, a larger passage. The last week, Colossians 3, um, letting the word dwell in you richly, um, which is a, a word which many of us had read at our weddings and just try to make sense of what's going on there. Come on in. Um, uh, but today, Ephesians 5, and the hope is, you know, and do a very good job of marking time last time, I, confession, I, I almost know I won't this time either, I'm going to try, um, trying to do time at the beginning on the text, and then to do a little bit of, kind of, I, I stumbled last week, a concept, which underneath God's common grace, just is helpful, almost like a proverb, it's just helpful for most people at most times, in most places. There you go. Thank you. Oh, thanks, Frank. Um, uh, something like that, a teaching for marriage enrichment. Definitely not marriage therapy per se. Um, uh, sin is going to get in the way of all that. So last week we looked at the pattern of, uh, of what we may say God's electing love. Um, simply in the midst of a helpful acronym. It's a forced acronym, VARE, V-A-R-E being visible, accessible, responsive, engaged, because of research. And the things I like to do, as a, both as a, a, a licensed therapist, but also as a pastor, as I have the privilege of meeting with people, um, is to say what's, what's true and what's real and what's actual. What's truly true, really real, actually actual. And let's look at controlled studies and see what's replicable and repeatable and see how most things go for most people most of the time. So now we're looking at bell curve kind of stuff. I do this a lot. If you've seen me as a counselor, you'll see me draw with my hands. 
And that's what all this is. Invisible, accessible, responsive, engaged. If you have to sort of whittle it down and you're looking at people who've been married for a long time and they would report that I am satisfied or very satisfied with my marriage. And you would say, okay, what are they drinking? What's their elixir? Come on in. So, um, and, and what can we do to bottle that and then give it to others? And this is one of them. Um, if it's, not, it's not prescriptive. You can't say be visible, accessible, responsive, and engaged. But descriptive, couples that have that, that emotional responsiveness is a way that sometimes in the literature um, described where people stop and say, I see you. Um, I'm available to you. I'm moving towards you. And that's the electing love of God. Um, and now we're engaged just as a descriptive of then what happens. And so that's what we looked at last week. This week we're going to look at commitment. Um, I'll put that up there. If you get bored, you can be reading that. Um, uh, but that's what we're doing in a minute. First, hope to look at Ephesians 5. Um, and backing up a little bit, because I think it, it kind of is the, uh, the way which describes everything else. So Ephesians 1 and 2, and then jumping down in verses um, uh, 20 through 33. So let me read that, and we'll pick it apart. I'm going to go quickly, too, too quickly, but we'll see what happens. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Most of us just heard that. That's where it comes from. Give thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should also, in the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. The word of the Lord. So the whole thing starts, big picture. We've got to go up, especially when we get down um, to the specific uh, uh, ways where husbands and wives, men and women, each given to the other in marriage, are equal but not equivalent. They're unified, but they're not uniform. They're not the same thing. Above all else, the big picture, we don't belong to ourselves. We're not our own masters. Um, we uh, are not in charge. We are subordinate. And y'all know me well, some of y'all do. Somewhere along the way, I started to play. I just like words. I like to play with words. I like to see where words come from, what they mean. Subordinate. The ordinate numbers, the ordinal numbers. I learned this when I was taking Spanish. We're doing first, second, third, fourth, fifth. Those are called the ordinates or the ordinal numbers, which describe an arrangement or a priority. Subordinate. If you're a subordinate, that means you're not first. 
And so just literally, and I mean that word literally, <laughs> literally the word means not first. As we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, as to the Lord, as we submit to the Lord, it just means we're not first. We don't belong to ourselves. We never did. And that's the problem. We looked at that last week. The problem with sin is we came out, well, after the garden, we came out. Now it's in our DNA. It wasn't in Adam and Eve's thinking that we're first, that we shall be like God. We shall be in the beginning, me. I'm the only thing that's been around forever. That's the human sin. That's the human condition. That's the problem of being a human, is that's what I think. It's in me. And so now those are my goggles. That's my earmuffs. That's how I feel. That's how I think. That's how I move. That's how I believe. That's how I believe. That's how I behave. Everything has that problem at its center, self. I'm selfish. I put myself in the beginning and the ordinal position, the first position and not the subordinate position. That's the big picture in Ephesians 5. It goes through this whole thing. Therefore, be imitators of who? Of God. I mean, right there, it's challenged that thing. Oh, yeah, I'm not my own. I've been bought with a price. I don't have to imitate myself. I'm not leading. I'm imitating God. And as I sat with this passage on Monday, I was like, imitators of God, how in the world do we do that? The word is mimic. I mean, it's right there in the, in the words. And Paul, like, was in my head, and he immediately gave it. He's like, dummy, as a beloved child. <laughs> not as a conditioned love, not as a child who isn't loved, not as a child who I love you if you do this, as one beloved, as one agapeid, as one who is in the bosom of the Father, who is cared for, who is, um, is secure in his father's and his mother's love, as a child knows that he has complete freedom, and then says, that freedom lets me be tied, so there's the juxtaposition, to actually be bound to the one who loves me, God. So therefore, be imitators of God. How and why? Because you're a beloved child. Um, and then, it just starts to lay out what you might call the ethic, which just means behavior. It's a fancy word for behavior. And walk in love. And he can't not not do this. Just like in Galatians 2, um, the one who gave himself for me. Um, uh, walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. I can already tell that in the second of the four weeks, um, that's my own thread. Because I'm always asking, what's, what's the Lord teaching me as I prepare to, to then come and just kind of mimic what he's teaching me and give it to you. That God, I mean, is in the center of everything that he is. When he's most doing the thing that he most wants to do, he's giving. He's a giver. God is his essence is a giver. And he's right there, walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. And so then jumping down, um, skipping over some parts, but getting to the, to the wives and the husbands, the marriage piece. Give thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, comma. So right there, we come from um, as Christ gave himself for us, for us. So there's grace. And now give thanks, and he just starts repeating himself with the superfluous, let it flowing over everywhere. Always and for everything to God. Um, from grace gratitude. Give thanks. Eucharisto. Give thanks in all things and for everything. And that is going to be the entire rubric, as it were. The entire power, the force which allows a husband and a wife 
to love each other, to submit to each other, to put the other first, to be other assertive and not self-assertive um, in every way that we're about to meet. Give thanks always and for everything to God our Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Gratitude, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And that's so central. Before you read this passage, and different versions have it different ways, before you read verse 22, wives submit to your husbands, you read verse 21, submit to one another out of reverence, out of fear, out of love, out of awe, out of respect for Christ. The word submit, very interesting. Tua Tungavaloa, a lot of us are following him just because he played at Alabama. And it's just the concussions that are you know, plaguing the sport a lot of us really love. And ataxis is suddenly a word that's in some of our vocabulary, um, which just means gross motor discoordination. So in other words, you're stumbling and you're fumbling around. So if you see somebody get up, what we used to call getting our bell rung, and they're like walking like this and all that, there's ataxia going on. Here's the reason I'm saying all that. Taxia, taxis, looks like taxis, is the Greek root for the same one that has submit here. To submit is a um, little Greek out again. Uh, it's a military word, which just means to arrange the troops in a particular order, an ordering, an arrangement, um, uh, a coordination, which is why now it's a medical it's a, it's, a, it's a medical term to describe discoordination, to describe clumsiness, to describe stumbling around when things aren't in order, when their sub, when their ordinates are out of order and you're walking not one step in front of another, but you're kind of going sideways and this way and that way. So hypostasis, to be placed in an order or an arrangement, submit to one another, subordinate yourself, put the other first, assert the other out of reverence for Christ. And then comes to the wives and the husbands. And before we go into here, um, to remember from verse 22 and 23, 24 for the wives, and then verse 25 through the end of this, this passage for the husbands, all of these, um, for both the women and the men, none of this works if these positions are taken. They only work if they're offered. And so the husband to take respect Respect me, woman. You know, bring me pot pie. You know, something like Breakfast Club. I don't know why I always say that, but that's like Judd Nelson's character is what I'm thinking of. You know, that was an abusive taking. Judd Nelson's father. Um, I didn't mean to go there, but there's my head. Um, or uh, to uh, to take the respect, or to take the love and the laying down. Lay down for me. You know, you know, do this for me. Um, as Christ loved the church, you're supposed to do this. The taking doesn't work. Um, the giving, each of us giving to the other um, in, the, uh, in the ordering and the arrangement underneath the Spirit of God who has joined himself to the Word of God, doing the work on our bodies. Um, that's, again, the rubric. I see Paul really taking pains here. Be imitators. How? Not as puppets, not as uh, conditioned um, slaves, or as children who are trying to earn or prove, but as beloved children of God. And from that, give thanks always and for everything. And from that belovedness, that grace, that gratitude, that subordination, that placing yourself second, always putting yourself in the second position, um, then hear this word. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head, it's um, like a head water, flows forth. He's got, of course, Genesis in mind, which is why we did that first last week, because it's all this. 
that out of Adam flowed Eve. Put a deep sleep on him, split him in half, took the side, out came Adam. He once was not good that he was alone, and now from himself he has his complement, equal but not equivalent, something completely other. So now standing there, Adam utters the first poem, a love song. Oh, bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Love. I'm infatuated. I'm taken. Finally, completeness. Because uh, then, and God would confirm that. And now together, um, the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And together, husband and wife, Adam and Eve, uh, can reflect back to God his image. In that sense, for the husband is the head, the head water, the, the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, now this part, the soma, he is also its savior. And now as the church submits, lays down the ordinance and says the church is second to Christ. The church is always a creature of Christ and his word. As the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to everything to their husbands. And then to the husbands, the command to love in two ways. As Christ loved the church and as Christ or, or any of us love our own bodies. That was also a little bit of an epiphany for me this week as I was thinking about that word, about Christ loving, about about. Christ loves us as we love our own bodies. Um, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. He's a giver. It's there again. As Christ gave himself up for her, that he, Christ, might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, comma. So let's hit that. Um, sanctify, to make holy, hallowed. Hallowed be thy name. Holy is your name. Sanctified is your name. Set apart. Dedicated. In some ways, that word is as simple as, you know, our china that we got when we were married is set apart for certain occasions. It's not our everyday, our common use. It's set apart, it's holy, it's sanctified, it's consecrated for special occasions. Christ gave himself up for her that he might set her apart for a special occasion, not something common, not something ordinary, not something everyday, but special, unique holy, lovely, hers, his, having cleansed her. And now he, he lapses. Paul's going to do this. He starts to lapse. He's trying to talk about husbands and wives, and he starts talking about Christ's saving act for um, all whom he died, his bride, the church. And so he lapses into baptism language. Baptism takes ordinary water, and with the word of God in the water, it becomes something other. Having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. And now, especially for those of us like me, who has like the two words of God, the word of law and the word of gospel, washing with water in the word, a little bit of Tim Keller in this as well, uh, different ways that water comes to you when you're, when you're, uh, uh, when I used to play baseball, um, we had a perpetual strawberry on our hip, you know, just from always sliding. Boy, that shower that, after the game, when you got in, it just, it just bolted you. You couldn't, you, you just knew it was coming and you locked up because it just, you knew it was going to sting. You know, sometimes water, it's good, you need to clean it, but it just seizes you for a little bit. That sting, that... Um, uh, the, the, the antiseptic, it doesn't feel good, but you know it is right. The word of the law doing its work on us. And other times, the water, the caressing, cleaning, warm, 
Come here, sweetheart. Let me clean your dirty body and bring you um, to present to you, you know, without wrinkle, blemish, mud, sweat, tears, blood, anything else. The balm. So there's the word which stings, and there's the word which is the balm. The washing of water with the word. And he's going to come over there in just a minute in a different way. I kind of move. So that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she, the church, might be holy and without blemish. So that's the way Christ loves. We, we love our wives as Christ loved the church. And now as we also love our own bodies, give the punchline, then we'll read it. Um, because I read this with my 21st century ears, um, especially with the privilege that I get to do of sitting with people, you know, body image issues, um, body dysmorphia. None of us, you know, I'm 51. Nobody's like, man, I just don't look the way I used to. This isn't not in love with this body now I'm looking at. That's not what it means. Not like, you know, because when it says like nobody ever hated his body, it's like, well, I know most people don't like their body. And it's not that. The sense of in private, as we care for, and we wash, and we wipe, and we look, and we inspect, and we, uh, we nurture. We say, I need to get this looked at. I need to fix that. I want to work on this. This is something that's good. Let me clean that, that, that intimacy of what we really do only in secret, you know, with the door closed and by ourselves, as we, we, we care for our body. That's what he's talking about. That sense of intimacy, now surrendering it to another person. I know some of us are in the medical part. And that, that intimacy of washing another person who is completely helpless, if you ever had that, that burden or that privilege of caring for somebody who can't care for themselves, it's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a nearness and a closeness and an intimacy, a vulnerability that I hear here as, as Paul speaks these words. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself for no one, like, like oh, never mind. For no one has ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Um, just to quickly say, that's husbands to wives, but that's Christ for all of us, men and women. The way that he has that intimacy, that care, that compassion, that gentleness of come to me, ye who are weary, and let me care for you. Let me wash you. Let me nourish you. Let me clean you. Let me, let me, let me make you young again. Let me bring you back to me. Um, and so Paul knows that he's getting into this, this sort of rhapsodic state. And so he comes back and says, let me fall back. Let me go back to what I want to talk about. And that's Genesis. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. I talked about that last week. Brief word again because it's right here in the context of Paul. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast be glued thereupon, each to the other. Um, great trick used to repeat. Um, Alice Chernock used to do this. Credit where credit is due. Um, we used to, and the Bible talks about that. I think we still do this. There'd be pink construction paper, and there'd be blue construction paper. So pink, girls, blue, boys. And the construction paper, have that in your mind, because it's that certain consistency of that pressed paper. And you would take glue and you would put it together, and you would lay it aside, and she would teach, and an hour later you come back, and you try to pull it apart. And of course, what happens? There's a little bit of pink in the blue, and there's a little bit of blue in the pink, because it just pulls apart. That's the verb. That's exactly what the word means here. 
when it says hold fast, be adhered to, be glued upon. Um, and then the image of becoming, the becoming one flesh. That's this sort of profound mystery that he's about to talk about. Um, like another image, probably going to say every week, um, we tend to think, I think most of us, um, especially if we're still on the younger side of our marriages, we tend to think, ah, when we got married, there we were. Gil and Maymay, husband and wife, you know, two statues frozen in time. This was when it was very good. And I think God has a different image. It's like, there they are, a single block of granite, a single block of marble, starting what will be the decades long, or as the Lord would will it, week long, decade long, however it is until he comes back or one of us, until death do us part, making this one flesh chiseling out in good times and bad, um, through thick and thin, to have and to hold, for better, for worse, in sickness and health, and rich and poor, until death do us part. Work, 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 chisel, 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 bringing about an end to being, becoming one flesh. And so we're, we don't, we're not married as statues. We're married as the block of marble from which God will now do his work and create this new thing. And so he goes on and says, this mystery is profound. Um, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. It's the last word and then I'll, well, we'll see what we do. Maybe take questions. We can call an audible. So at the beginning, when it talks about um, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, and then here at the end, let the wife see that she respects. That's the same word. What in one place is called um, reverence, the other place is respects. I was talking to Gunnar before. Um, the word there is phobos, where we get the word phobia, like a fear, like a phobos, a phobia of, of spiders, for instance. There's this new spider in Alabama. Did y'all see that? It's bad news for some of us. Um, uh, like a fear. Uh, well, we know this, that, that perfect love casts out fear. There is no fear in love. That's from John um, mm -hmm. in his epistles. Uh, and so it is something like respect, reverence, awe. And I love this image. Um, we should all respect, almost revere our marriages. This thing, when we say it's kind of above us, there's the man, there's the woman, and then there's the marriage. There's the y'all. This is where it's good to be in the South the two that are now one in this thing that is bigger and which exceeds the sum of either part is to be feared. Not in a sense of like phobia, like I'm afraid of spiders or the dark or caves, uh, but of reverence, of awe, of something which makes you stand up and realize I am not my own. I am subordinate to something greater than myself. Um, I'm second. I'm, I, I, when I'm in my right mind, when I see things that are truly true, really real, and actually actual, when I see things clearly repented, um, I recognize that. And I fear my marriage. I fear my family. I fear the sense that this is bigger than me. With gratitude now, giving thanks in all things and every time for this thing which I've been given, because God in his essence is a giver. And that's where he goes here in Ephesians 5, marriage. And what's next? children, and then after that, kind of what we'd call work, economic, sort of relationships, the way we move through time. Like we saw in Genesis, work is not bad. In the curse, it's become bad. But reverence, awe, respect, love, humility, 
uh, a sense of its otherness, not being self-assertive, but other-assertive. Um, all these relationships that we have. That's, that's the Word's work, whether it's a stinging work with the water in the Word, or whether it's the balm of, I've come home, um, now I can rest. Uh, that's Ephesians 5. Let me hit pause. I think we can talk about commitment, and there's really good stuff there, but we may not. We may just, well, we'll see. Thoughts, questions. It's a great text. How have you seen it abused? When it's taken, and it's typically when the, the man or men want to take the position of uh, you're supposed to submit to me, which means you get to do what I tell you to do. And that's not what it's saying. I mean, you can hear that, can't you? Imitators as beloved children and all things and everything, gratitude, submitting to one another. It just, I mean, to me, it just neutralizes. It cuts every string that has some sort of I take because God gave you to me and that's the way it's supposed to be. Um, not for abuse, sin, that's the problem, you know, takes us that way, but it gets, gets, gets abused far too often. Um, the taking and not the giving. Thanks for asking. Yeah. Yeah, thanks. Let's do talk about commitment. So within all this, um, uh, being glued thereupon, two types of commitment. Um, let's do the first two. Um, right here, commitment is constraint and commitment is dedication. This is a guy named Scott Stanley, who I think is really great. He's one of the people that really kind of influenced the way I do my marriage work, where I think about marriage. Um, we, th we know two different ways we talk about this. Um, hey, can you come to, let's have lunch? It's like, oh, I'd love to tomorrow. Oh, shoot, I've already got a commitment. I'm constrained. Now something that I already said yes to is it's preventing me from doing something that I want to do. So within a relationship, say, um, you know, uh, uh, Sally meets Joe, um, start to hang around, her cell phone uh, plan lapses. He's like, hey, why don't you just get on mine? Um, oh, that's a good idea. And now they're, they've got a constraint. They're tied together. Um, they're kind of spending more time together. The months go by. He wants to get a dog. She's like, oh, I like this one. So they get that one, another constraint. They kind of have a dog together. They kind of move through, and they're making all these, these ties to each other, these constraints, and they've never said, who are you to me, and I'm a, who am I to you? Are we committed to each other? Do we have something? They've got a constraint commitment, um, something which ties them, uh, and it's going to make it difficult later if they want to say, no, I want to get out. Now they got to undo the dog. Now they got to undo the cell plan. Now they got to undo the, the rent, et cetera, and so forth. So that's one form of commitment. And in a marriage, it's actually good because to have and to hold till one of us dies. When the seas rage and when the hard times come and, it, and, and, and love, which is no longer that sort of gooey, you know, yummy emotion, that feeling, um, but it's more of a, of, a, of, a, of, a, of, a, of a sense of a choice, of a dedication of, I, I made a vow a constraint. I'm going to see it through. It actually carries you through those hard times. Um, so it's not all bad, I want to say that. But constraint, as he would also say, 
is a force that pushes from behind. A lot like Ashley Knowles' sermon, horses aren't made to push carts. So there's that. There's another way we think about commitment, and I'll come to your question, Alex. Um, and that's, you know, he's committed to his team. She's committed to her class. She's really, she's committed to her profession. It's, it's a very ennobling. We have a sense of, again, love and awe and respect and that form of commitment, what you sometimes call dedication, or what Scott Stanley calls a dedication commitment. And that's the one that draws rather than pushes. It's the force that draws you forward. And that's the one for a marriage, you know, put like if you're against each other, you're walking away from each other, now you're shoulder to shoulder and you're walking together towards a common horizon. You know, we're committed to each other. We both constrained ourselves to each other because by saying yes to you, I'm saying no to other options. Um, I'm making a choice to give up other choices. Um, I choose you, which means both the people in my life now or the people that I meet in the future, I'm going to say no to. And that increasingly is becoming such a radical notion. Um, I mean, polyamory is a real thing. I mean, it's, 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 it's here. It's not just coming. It's here. Um, even in the way, I'll be quiet after this, you know, Full confession, one of my little soapboxes, I'm sorry because you're going to sell it to me. I was like, oh, sorry to mean it that way. It's okay. How do we, our language has changed. You know, hey, you want to have lunch? It's on my calendar. Well, I'm glad it's on your calendar, but I asked you, do you want to have lunch? Can you come to the meeting? Are you going to be here? You know, I need to make, you know, are you going to be there? Are you going to be with me and for me? And not, I had it on my calendar, but something else came up. And now I'm choosing that. Um, I'm a busy man, and I hate it in some ways. Because I don't want everybody to think, oh, he's so busy. Because what does busy mean? I mean, some people are just that busy. Nick Saban is just that busy. But a lot of times it says, I'd love to see you, but I'm just really busy. All I hear is, well, that just means you've got lots going in your life, and I don't make the cut. I'm not good enough. So all that is what I was going to talk about with commitment. When in some ways, the radicality of committing to one other person and then to your family um, is, I'm going to say yes to you. And so that's where this cute little phrase, um, I thought I had a cute little phrase somewhere. It's on the other page. Um, knowing means knowing. Yeah, um, right down here. Um, yeah, that's a good one to end on. We'll do this. So again, Scott Stanley, his five-year-old son at the time, I think he was the youngest of like three like a lot of a lot of kids, he just said no to everything. Um, hey, you've been inside all day. Why don't you go outside and play? No. Um, uh, go wash your hands. It's time for dinner. No. Um, uh, do you want the juice or the milk? No. It's a, that's not the way it's supposed to go. You're supposed to say the juice. The juice. You know, he just said no to everything. And they were playing around on the floor one time. Um, it wasn't like you know a scold or whatever else. They were playing around on the floor. He was tickling him and saying you know, Billy, I don't know what his name was. Um, Billy, why do you always say no? And he's laughing. (laughs) Because yes takes too long. It's like, wow, that's really something. When you say yes to somebody, it takes time. It takes emotion. It takes effort. Now we're back to Vare. It says, I see you. I'm available to you. I'm responsive to you. Like the alabaster jar perfume, which the woman cracked in Bethany right before Jesus was going to be killed. Um, it was a waste. It's an absolute waste. And we waste time and emotion and talent and everything else on our spouses and our children, on our friends. To say yes to somebody takes time. It's expensive to say yes. 
And that's the whole part. To know somebody means I've got to say no to other things. Make a commitment to you. You're my friend, which means I'm going to say yes to you. You're my wife. You're my husband, which means I'm saying yes to you and I'm saying no to other things. Uh, there's lots more to be said about that, obviously, but we'll have to save that for another time. Thank you for that. So, so a good definition of commitment is a choice to give up other choices. And that's really hard to do. Um, and sometimes we just say it, in, well, here's a stewardship plug because it's time, money, and talent. Didn't intend this. But it's like, yep, I, I'm going to make a choice to trust God that in 14 months, by December 2023, I'll be able to fulfill my promise that I'm going to give $6 to the church or whatever it is. Um, it's a commitment. I'm saying yes to something. Um, well, let me pray. Lord, take this, these words, um, feebly offered um, in haste, and, uh, and, and by your grace, Lord, uh, by your gospel's work, uh, let it return a harvest 30, 60 or 100 fold. Um, let your work be done in your way, never lacking for anything needed. In Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you will join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.